Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news as well as insight and analysis into the game we all love. Irene McGarvey and with me as always is Duncan Castles. Today we're going to bring you lots of market news. You'll be pleased to hear, that's what we do, Um, involving Barcelona, involving Chelsea, Ajax, Real Madrid, bit of news on Newcastle as well. So uh, stay tuned and you'll hear everything we've got to offer. I'm going to start in the Catalonian city of Barcelona, where intrigue surrounds the future of the Blaugrana wonderboy Ansu Fati. Duncan, there has been apparently not just interest, but concrete bids for a player who has played not so much as he would have liked in the last part of uh, the season before it was suspended. Of course, La Liga returns in all its glory on Thursday of this week. Is it possible? Really, is it possible that Barcelona would sell, as I said, someone who has come through La Masia and is very much loved by the Barca socios? That's the question that um, major powers in European football are asking. And why are they asking the question? Because it's no secret that Barcelona have financial problems. Um, They cut their players' salary, came to an agreement using a government um, law uh, brought in to handle the COVID virus to reduce the, the salaries of their players. Um, they already, before COVID even happened, they had an issue with um, requiring to raise cash in the transfer market. Um, they are strict financial fair play rules in Spain. Each club is handed a budget for the season by the authorities, which they have to meet to take part in the competition, on top of, of course, the UEFA financial fair play rules. Um, they want to sign players this summer. We know they want to sign Lautaro Martinez um, from Inter and have been trying to do that. We've reported about that in the podcast. There's pressure on them to sign Neymar um, internally in the camp. Uh, Leo Messi and uh, Luis Suarez would like to see him come back and pushed for that move last summer. There's an election on the horizon, so the president say wanting to retain control of the club want to have a successful transfer window and that involves spending money again. Where do they fund that? Well, they've been trying to fund that, as we've told you in the podcast, by selling people like Philippe Coutinho's Man Dembele, um, Nelson Semedo, um, players who are um, not necessarily on the fringes, but they're, they're seen as being expendable. They haven't had success in, with those um, attempts to sell players so far, despite the best efforts of some of their agents to push those players, particularly Philippe Coutinho, into the English market in particular. Um, 
But what they do have is a player in Ansu Fati who the big clubs want to sign. And that, that's the analysis that's being made. So the clubs are being uh, made aware that Barcelona want to raise money. They're having players offered to them. And the reply is, well, if Barcelona really want to raise money, they want to sell a player, then we will sign Ansu Fati because he's the one who's of proper value. He fits that profile of a young player who could be acquired um, on relatively cheap salary. His salary at Barcelona at present is just 500,000 euros a year. So you see the scope there to multiply his salary by 10 and still not have it um, particularly trouble uh, the budgets of, of European super clubs. Um, he will only turns 18 in October. He's already broken into the Barcelona team. Um, long-term listeners to the podcast will remember that last year we reported um, that, they, that Barcelona had offers from Borussia Dortmund, Monaco and Nice for Fatih, and they had inquiries from Manchester United and Newcastle United about signing him at a point when he was still playing for uh, Barcelona's youth teams. Um, as we explained at the time, Barcelona did not want to promote him to the first team. And he was uh, looking to leave the club because of that, because he felt he was good enough to go straight to the first team uh, and play. And he's proved exactly that. He did manage to persuade Barcelona to give him an improved contract. He did manage to persuade them to include him in the first team squad. He's played 16 La Liga games so far this season, scored four times, played in the Champions League four times, scored once. But in total, only got 28% of minutes. And that's why this is a complicated situ situation for Barcelona. Talking to people close to the player, he would like to stay at the club, but he's concerned that there will not be sufficient space for him in the first team next season. If Barcelona sign Lautaro from Inter or if they sign Neymar from Paris Saint-Germain and they have been working on the, those deals, particularly aggressively on the Lautaro deal, that's an extra attacking player in the squad to compete with him. They've already got Francisco Trincao from Braga uh, due to come in in the summer, who they signed for 31 million euros on the 31st of January and immediately put a half billion euro release clause on. So there is a new young attacking player coming in. They want to add at least another one. And Ansu is thinking, well, where is the space for me? I'm better than these players. I've proved myself at, at this team already. I want to be playing first team football. His, the people around him are obviously advising him that he is worth more in, in, on a contractual basis than he's getting at the moment. That 500,000 euros a year is effectively a Barcelona B team contract, um, despite him being an A team player. So an offer has already come in to Barcelona. Offer was presented to them recently of 100 million euros plus 50 million euros in performance related bonuses. Barcelona looked at that and they said, no, um, we are not selling for that price and, and referred um, the uh, agent involved to the release clause. Uh, the release clause currently, I understand, 170 million euros with them holding the ability to increase it when he turns 18 as part of his current contract. They say they do not want to sell, but... Um, the clubs interested in him, and those clubs include Manchester United, 
essentially the top clubs in European football are looking at this deal and they're all saying, if you can get him out of Barcelona for a reasonable price, we will do that deal um, because he is worth it, even in the current market. Um, and the calculation, I think, will come down to where Barcelona um, get to because of COVID. Will La Liga successfully complete the season? Um, that will make their finances stronger if they can get this season completed and have the next season ready to go. Um, and where competitor clubs are. So I think for English clubs to be able to do this deal, for the majority of them, they need also to complete their season. And I think in general, there's a, there's a sense in the market that clubs in Spain, Italy and England, three of the, the five most powerful markets, are waiting to see how Project Restart or their own equivalent goes and how it goes in the other countries to get an assessment of where their finances are going to be um, once we get into the transfer period and, and where they're going to be for the next season. And once they know that, they will push harder on these deals. But Ansu is um, an important figure in the summer market and a big problem that Barcelona are going to have to solve one way or another. In terms of actual fee though, Duncan, what will we be expecting Ansu Fati to achieve in terms of being Barcelona being persuaded to part company with him, given his age and his lack of playing time. Yes, the potential's there, but we also have this new financial climate, et cetera, et cetera, which is making football more realistic. So what do you think realistically Barcelona can hope to achieve in terms of a fee? Well, Barcelona's position is that they don't want to sell. Um, that offer of 100 million plus 50 million is a huge offer for a 17-year-old. It's not far off the uh, the kind of figures we were talking about for, for Kylian Mbappé, who was sold at an older age and with far more experience um, and far more proven success in the Champions League. Um, so, you know, that's big money. And, and as it comes down to, it's Barcelona need money. Barcelona want to spend more in the transfer market. So Lautaro, you're looking at 111 million euros and Inter are now saying um, they're not interested in uh, involving Barcelona players as part exchange for that 111 million. If Barcelona want to sign him, they need to do it by July 7th when the, the um, rescission clause expires and they need to pay the full 111 million euros to do it. And obviously, Antonio Conte, our, uh, one of our transfer podcast favourites, is putting pressure on Inter not to sell Lautaro as he does. We know Antonio Conte always wants the strongest squad possible and always puts pressure on his employers to provide them with it. So if Barcelona want to do that deal, and they, they clearly are trying to do that deal, then it's going to be 111 million straight, which means they have to find 111 million plus the, the, the additional money they need to cover um, the difficulties that they have in their budget to go forward. The money is essentially on the table for them from Ansu. They say they don't want to sell him. How much more can they get? I think that depends on, on how COVID transpires and which leagues are completed. But it's also a question of how badly, fundamentally, it's a question of how badly do they need the money and are they able to raise that money from elsewhere? 
if they can't sell Philippe Coutinho, for example, which they desperately want to do, then they're going to have to find money from a player that clubs are prepared to buy. And they're going to have to accommodate Coutinho's salary um, on their books, or at least a percentage of the salary if they can't find a, a loan deal for him again. it's they, They're not in a strong position uh, in terms of um, forcing the hands of opponents in the market. But what they've been offered is a very substantial um, cash fund. If it turns out that uh, they, they think it's more important to make a high-profile signing than it is to retain a player that they've developed themselves and already have in their squad and that their rivals would really like to take from them. Barcelona's transfer policy has obviously um, not been successful in the past two to three seasons. Usman Dembele, Philippe Coutinho are the two uh, most high-profile examples of more than 200 million euros spent on fees, uh, probably another 100 million euros on salaries in terms of contract length, etc. I'm just wondering, Duncan, if this perfect storm of this presidential election, which looms, uh, Barcelona, the fact that, uh, as we have reported, are somewhere in the region of 600 million euros in debt, and that um, with uh, the current squad that they have, if Ansu Fati will become expendable. And indeed, I'm reminded, Duncan, of the famous or infamous um, Joseph Luis Nunez, the former Barcelona president, who, when he left his office at Camp Nou, left a folder on his desk with a post-it note on it. And the folder was the playing record and uh, profile of one Cesc Fabregas. And the post-it note simply said, this is one you're going to have to explain, as he had just signed for Arsenal, aged 16 and a half. <laughs> yeah, uh, look, look, there's no question Barcelona have made a mess of the transfer market. We've discussed that in detail on the podcast several times. I refer listeners back to um, one of the later podcasts we did with Graham Hunter in which he, he talks from a football perspective of where they've gone wrong in, in building and and altering their squad and how much work has to be done, in his view, to um, re-energise it and uh, bring youth in and bring in players who are capable of playing the, the very physically demanding style of football that the Barcelona supporters want to watch. Um, in that perspective, retaining Ansu Fati, you would think, would be an absolute priority for them. And, and that will be the interesting question is whether they do prioritise that over a new signing. Because it, do, it doesn't come with fanfare. It doesn't come with the, um, the, the parade in front of the supporters when you bring your new expensive shiny footballer in uh, and, uh, and have the excitement of that signing. But it is probably, and I think Graham would argue this, it, it, it is the, the most intelligent of strategies would be to focus resource on retaining and to making him happy and giving him a pathway to play in, in the team and develop uh, than it would be to go for one of the, the big names of European football. But as you say, Barcelona haven't made rational decisions for a long time now. So there's no guarantee they start making rational decisions this summer. Let, let's look at it from the other side of the deal. As, as we 
told you last year when we broke that story about Ansu Fati, Manchester United had inquired about the player. They weren't able to sign him at the time because he didn't have his Spanish passport. He was uh, born in Guinea-Bissau and then raised in Spain. He, he only got citizenship um, in September, uh, which at the time, obviously not having the passport, it would have been difficult for a Premier League club to sign him. But now, obviously, the deal would be massively more expensive. And one of my sources on this says that the offer of 100 million came from Manchester United. But compare Ansu Fati to um, Jaden Sancho. You've got similar types of players. You have in Sancho, someone who's more established, who has proven himself at the top level for a longer period of time, who is English, which is obviously an attraction from a commercial point of view. But the cost as stands in terms of transfer fee, pretty similar. In terms of salary, Ansu Fati, who's on 500,000 euros a year at the moment, would be a fraction of Jaden Sancho's cost. Um, so you can see the attraction and the, and the rationale of Manchester United's part to try and um, move in there, take advantage of Barcelona's financial troubles at present, and secure a player who could be should be, if the um, the analysts and the scouts are correct, a top performer in European football for over a decade. As I say, he doesn't even turn 18 until October. So if you can secure this player, make him happy and, and, and make him a central part of your team, you potentially have trophies coming your way because you got him into your squad ahead of the other big clubs. So Manchester United, I think, being clever here, I'm not saying they're going to sign the player because the competition is huge. And um, as I started this by saying, Ansu's preference is to remain at Barcelona. But there is an opportunity there um, and, and they're trying to take advantage of that opportunity. Well, as someone who has been privileged to see Ansu Fati play um, in the flesh, as it were, for some of that 28% of minute time that uh, Duncan mentioned, um, I can say that he definitely um, excites me much more than Jadon Sancho um, with regards to his effectiveness. I'd also say that despite the fact he doesn't play in the same position as Kylian Mbappe, he has the potential to have just as much influence on a game as Mbappe has for Paris Saint-Germain and for the France national team. Um, so now that La Liga is back, and kicking off um, both uh, the end of this week and this weekend. Uh, hopefully, you will get a chance to see him as well, whether it be on TV. Another young player who's making waves and who is attracting attention is Declan Rice, the West Ham player who started his time uh, as an academy player at Chelsea and indeed is very much fancied by Chelsea with regards to a return. Our information at the Transfer Window podcast is that Frank Lampard's uh, feeling about the player is that he could become, potentially, a commanding presence in Chelsea's defence, which, of course, would be taking him out of the defensive midfield role he currently fills for West Ham United. But he did start as a centre-half and has the both physique and... Um, ability to play there. But of course, if you've got a player who can play in two positions, well, why not? Um, he's currently uh, on a contract till 2024 at the London Stadium. But he's only 21 years old, Duncan. 
has seven caps already for England. Again, he fulfills all of those kind of uh, box ticking factors that we talk about with regards to young, English, talented, good with the ball at his feet, reads the game well, etc. Um, we've talked a lot about um, Lampard's desire to have a, a vocal presence in his defence, which he feels is lacking. Obviously, he played uh, for his entire time at Chelsea with John Terry, who was very much um, that captain, leader, legend phrase, which has become a bit hackneyed now. But um, do you think Rice is the, is the kind of player who can make the switch back to centre-half? And also, do you think Chelsea would be willing to pay around sort of 50 to £60 million pounds fee, which West Ham will be looking for? Well, I think Frank Lampard would quite enjoy taking one of West Ham United's... Um, <laughs> you know him well. <laughs> he would uh, he would have fun uh, being extracting an individual like that from West Ham United at, at a time like this. And uh, certainly the, the sense I have is that West Ham United are extremely keen um, to get the Premier League running again and get cash back into their coffers again. So um, there may be more pressure on West Ham than there are on others. And obviously Chelsea are, because of the, the transfer window ban, because nothing um, substantial was done in the January window, um, they have more resource than most Premier League clubs um, to buy players in this coming market. Um, as we've talked about on the podcast for months now, there is significant internal conflict at Chelsea over who they sign. Um, Frank Lampard did not get who he wanted in January. Um, and uh, Marino Granoschea, um wanted different players and Frank Lampard um, was uh, pushing against those. So the, the end result was no deals being done. Um, I don't think that conflict has gone away. I think they're like every Chelsea manager who has preceded him. Lampard is in a position where he has to battle to have the degree of say he would like to have in recruitment um, and wants to prioritise certain positions, doesn't want huge amounts of money spent on um, individuals in the areas where uh, the team is already strong in his view. So the Jaden Sancho deal that Granovskaya was trying to put in place in January fell through because of that, because Lampard did not want Jaden Sancho in at that price in a position where he had good players um, and to have his name associated with such a, a huge transfer fee for a young player um, who there are question marks or there would be question marks of whether that was the, the right place for him to, to, to move and whether he could um, live with that valuation on his head. Um, so yeah, Lampard wants a left back. We, you, Ian, told us in the um, last week's podcast that Ben Chilwell is a priority there and that work is being done um, with Ashley Cole involved in the process recommending Chilwell as an uh, addition to the squad. He wants a centre-back. Both of those areas are obviously areas that Chelsea need to reinforce in. Um, I think if you analyse where they've been losing goals, where they lack experience, 
um, there it's obvious that uh, that they have an issue at centre back um, and could do with a, a different kind of player at left back. Um, so you you have to say Lampard's priorities seem to be the right ones, um, but will he win that battle to convince the the people who are in charge of Roman Abramovich's spending? at the club that uh, that they are the right areas um, to to put the money into or will he be left screaming again? I do find it still, Duncan, and I suppose this is one of the enduring, um, intriguing aspects of football, which keeps us obviously on the edge of our seat and makes us interested uh, year by year, month by month, day by day. Um, the influence that people who have no experience in football have over recruitment policy at a football club, especially one as big as Chelsea or or Manchester United as well, as we've seen in recent years, um, whereby the coach gives a, a list of players that he would like and needs in certain positions, and yet he then is offered, if you like, to put it that way, um, players who are entirely the opposite of the ones that he has listed and in positions that he wanted. Uh, and this seems to have been the case in the two windows, well, one window officially that Lampard has had now at Chelsea in January, obviously, after the uh, the FIFA ban was suspended. Um, and he's now finding the same difficulty with regard to what he needs and wants to uh, recruit in terms of strengthening his team because 11 games lost in the Premier League so far this season before the restart, but still in the chance of top four. Um, So kind of remarkable, really, in the sense that um, they have a chance of qualifying for Champions League despite that record. But goals conceded from set pieces, dreadful record. Goals conceded from open play, very bad record. This is something which, and even Lampard as a midfielder, um, sees where the the, um, deficiencies are and has listed them to the people who are in charge of making bids and securing transfers. And yet he still gets back a list of players like Werner, who, okay, is a striker, so that's fair enough, Kai Havertz has been widely reported as being on Chelsea's radar. They've already signed Hakim Ziyech. They already have a raft of attacking midfield players. And even even if they lose both Pedro and William, who are out of contract, they still have a very good roster of attacking midfielders. So it just seems almost imperceptible that they would be looking at someone like Havertz at Bayer Leverkusen to come in on the basis of what they've already got? Well, some of the, the concession of goals does come down to the coaching. Um, so set-piece goals, there have been mistakes in the way the team is set up, uh, which goes down to the decision to take a, an inexperienced managerial team in. But in the round, you have to say Lampard, and Jody Morris have done well at Chelsea and they've got them into a position that many expected they wouldn't be able to achieve this season and, and they have 
the chance to to qualify from the Champions League from their league position. You also have to say Marina Gravsky does have a lot of experience in recruitment now. And uh, she would argue that Chelsea doing well in the transfer market, develop, developing a policy of, of signing uh, talented younger players, putting them on their books, selling them at profits, the, the loan army model, which of course is something that FIFA are now trying to prevent from happening going forward and is going to change um, or should change the, the strategy at Chelsea. Um, and a succession of trophies achieved. So they're, you know, and the Chelsea do argue that their policy of changing managers, of sacking managers, has resulted in success. Um, whether she is better placed than the manager to decide on who should come into the team uh, is a different argument. But she does have experience in this role and she has used. Um, competent individuals alongside to work on recommendations and scouting of players. There's certainly a question mark in the general football world about who is involved in doing those deals and the tendency for Chelsea to sign players from one or two uh, particular agents. Um, and there's maybe question marks over the reliance on, on those agents and whether they always get the best individuals as a result of them. What's what's not in question is that this has been a problem for every manager um, coming into the club and who has worked with her. And repeatedly, we've got we've seen situations at Chelsea where the manager has said or the coach has said, "This squad has got us to the level we've got. I've I've achieved what I can achieve from this squad. If you want to win the Champions League." If you want to retain the Premier League title, we need to make substantial changes in particular areas of the field. Um, otherwise, it's going to be impossible for me to, to make this team win the Champions League. And, that, and here are my recommendations for positions. And these are the kind of players I would like. And definitely, I don't want that player who you're suggesting to me. That would be a bad idea. Let's put the money elsewhere. And every single time, the individual who's lost that battle has been the coach. And the manager, and they've been replaced by another one. Um, so history would suggest that Frank Lampard will lose this battle too, and will end up having to play with individuals he's not entirely happy with, and end up with a squad structure that he's not entirely happy with. Um, let's see if that's what happens. Well, it'll be interesting to see Kai Havertz uh, if he ends up at Chelsea playing centre half. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> At least it'd be good on the ball, uh, like, like Javi Mascherano. How do we solve a problem, Duncan, like Donny van der Beek, is my next question. Ajax midfielder, who is exceptionally talented, as we know, uh, in a team which um, has been very successful in the last two to three seasons, being marketed uh, quite aggressively by his agent, Obviously, the Dutch league was called to a halt by the Netherlands government. Um, Ajax are out of the Champions League, and therefore he has no platform to um, show his talents come the resumption of European competition as scheduled in August. Ajax looking for around 55 million euros for the player. Real Madrid have been widely quoted as the ones who will eventually secure his signature but Manchester United, and they're linked as well. 
which takes us back to the age-old debate over Paul Pogba's position. Um, do we really think there's a, a kind of realistic chance of Van der Beek to Old Trafford, or is this just a marketing ploy by his agent to try and nudge Madrid into concluding the deal? Well, Ajax are a selling club. Van der Beek is a, a player that they have um, been open to selling for some time now. Um, the player obviously wants to move to uh, a higher standard of league and to be paid more, as does his agent. Um, it's a pretty standard uh, story. Ajax don't don't stand in the way of their players moving when they're uh, of Van de Beek's profile um, and the money is right. Real Madrid have had extensive discussions with the club. Um, in January, uh, Ajax thought they had a deal with Real Madrid um, that the player would move in the summer um, for around uh, their valuation of 55 million euros. Obviously, since then, there has been a massive change in the transfer market. Madrid is a club that has been hit hard by COVID. Um, again, they're another club who don't know exactly where their finances are going to be for the coming season. Um, they're waiting to see whether the restart works and waiting to see whether, when, whether and when fans are allowed back into the stadium and when their match day revenues, which are substantial, um, will be reinstated. Um, we know they want Paul Pogba, or at least their, their coach wants Paul Pogba. And Paul Pogba, Donny van de Beek, you're essentially looking at the same player or the same position, similar types of players doing similar things on the field. Um, albeit Pogba has a broader range than van de Beek, but van de Beek is obviously a, a far cheaper option than Pogba. If Zidane had his way, then Paul Pogba would be a player for Real Madrid, but Real Madrid had set that deal up with significant question marks, internal question marks over whether they continue with Sudan anyway. They want to rejuvenate their midfield. They have Tony Cruz and Luka Modric at the wrong end of the age spectrum and they want to put more pace um, into that midfield. So Van de Beek makes sense from them and particularly if Sudan isn't going to be the coach going forward. Um, Manchester United... Where do you fit him in? If you retain Paul Pogba, if you have Bruno Fernandes, um, then that would be three uh, players of very similar type in the squad. Um, I don't see that there's a great deal of room to shift um, Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba back into Manchester United's midfield because Nemanja Matic has demonstrated to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that the manager made a huge mistake by leaving him out of the team and has been offered um, a substantial new contract at Manchester United, which he is happy to sign. They have Scott McTominay. Um, so you've got two uh, players for in those more defensive roles. You have Pogba and um, Bruno Fernandes competing to play that more attacking role. And that, that's a conundrum that Solskjaer's going to have to solve if Pogba remains and you throw Van de Beek in there, um, you have an even bigger uh, issue uh, to resolve um, at a time when Manchester United don't have unlimited finances and want to, as we've talked about, 
strength and on the right wing um, with very expensive players like Jaden Sancho or Ansu Fati. Um, so they've, they've got significant spending ahead of them anyway. I asked um, contact Ajax about this report, which initially, initially emerged in um, the Netherlands that Manchester United were pushing for the player again and, and has you know, some support with Edwin van der Sar saying that it's clear that clubs like Real Madrid and Manchester United are showing interest in Donny van der Beek on record. And the reply of the source was essentially that the agent is trying to remind Real Madrid that other clubs are interested in the player um, and they need to commit to the deal and, and they want to get that deal completed and get his future sorted out. So the preference for Van de Beek is to go to Madrid. Um, we've seen this story many, many times with Real Madrid. This is how they operate in the market. They set up deals. Um, they encourage the players that they are thinking about bringing into the club to commit themselves in the head to joining the club. And then they take their time before actually completing and and uh, and pulling the trigger on the deals. And we, we saw it with Thibaut Courtois, we saw it with Eden Hazard. Both of those players spent a lot of time trying to work out whether Madrid were actually going to sign them or not. And I think we're seeing it again with, with Van de Beek. And you know that's that's the information I have from Ajax is that they they see Madrid as the the, the favourites and they see Madrid as the club that Van de Beek actually wants to go to. I'm reminded, Duncan, of our old favourite and a phrase that we have trademarked, of course, the Nico Gaetan ruse and uh, maybe the Donny van de Beek ruse is the new Nico Gaetan ruse, this time being linked to Manchester United. But, of course, with the intention of joining Real Madrid, we shall see. Before we head to Heroes and Villains to wrap up the Transfer Window podcast for today, um, I think we need to talk about Newcastle United, Duncan, because there's been a lot of, uh, well, speculation about nothing happening, uh, I think is the right way to put it. Um, we're now more than two months into apparently what is a simple uh, investigation into the uh, backgrounds of owners and directors from the Premier League regarding PCP and the Saudi National Investment Fund's proposed takeover from Mike Ashley at St James's Park. Obviously, there have been lots of uh, complaints lodged um, from both Amnesty International and also uh, the World Trade Organization regarding pi potential piracy, alleged um, blagging of uh, TV uh, rights from the Premier League, from La Liga and elsewhere by a satellite which is owned by the Saudi Arabian government, which has since stopped broadcasting those games. Um, and those questions and answers are awaited by the Premier League with regard to uh, the PIF takeover in majority, of course, which is 80%, um, with PCP 10% and the Rubin Brothers 10% as well. <sighs> What's happening, Duncan? Because obviously there's been a bit of distraction with regards to this, both, of course, from the COVID-19 crisis and the Premier League's desperation to sort out Project Restart before 
they announce anything on the Newcastle takeover, but also from the um, initiation of a court case in the High Court in London this week, which uh, involves Amanda Staveley, who, of course, is the figurehead of the PCP takeover. Yeah, I think you can add to the, the groups um, trying to stop the takeover from happening our um, cross-party uh, group of MPs and uh, peers who've written to the UK government raising concern over um, the threat of sports washing in the country um, as a result of the Saudi Arabian funded takeover in Newcastle United. So this is also being brought up in, in Parliament. Um, talking to people involved in the deal, they say there's been no change, um, no progress, um, but also no problems presented to them. Their view is that the Premier League is waiting until it's sorted out Project Restart um, to make a final decision on this. Um, they say there is the deal remains in place, that Mike Ashley is completely committed to it. That the only thing it is dependent on is Premier League approval or not. Um, they're not concerned about reports uh, that other bidders are in place to try and hijack the deal should the Premier League say no to PIF becoming owners, um, essentially because they have that contractual commitment with Ashley that um, they say Ashley cannot get out of. So, um, and their stance is it's a waiting game. Amanda Stavely's court case has changed things internally to a certain extent in that she is due to testify this week in that court case against Barclays um, and I'm told is spending the majority of her time uh, monitoring the court case so it's it's I think most of the proceedings are being held virtually but uh, I'm told she has to spend um, the majority of her working day um, watching what's happening in the court case, obviously preparing for her own testimony uh, and uh, to deal with uh, with developments in it, which is due to run for eight to nine weeks in total. But she's part of a PCP management group, which employs a number of in individuals who've been working on this takeover for years and who are... Uh, I'm told capable of taking up the slack in terms of preparations for um, the takeover should it be approved. Um, there is a frustration, obviously, that they haven't been granted approval. Um, there is a, a problem associated with that in the sense that a lot of what the, the buyers want to do and need to do for next season involves decisions over uh, which players' contracts should be renewed, which players should be released, um, obviously planning on um, purchasing players, um, although they haven't, they say they haven't gone so far down the line in, in any of those uh, transactions, but they're conscious that the longer this takes for approval and the, the, the smaller the window is between them taking control of the club and the start of the next Premier League season, the harder it is for them to do business. Um, you know, the, the, what they want to do and what they have to do 
um, will be concertinoed into a shorter period of time, which makes it obviously more difficult um, to uh, to be as effective in the transfer market and the contract market as they'd like to be. And um, as we told you in the podcast some time ago, they do not have access to Steve Bruce um, because Mike Ashley is not permitting Steve Bruce to speak to them before uh, the, the takeover is completed, which they understand because it's um, it would be a complicated position for for Mike Ashley to allow his manager to speak to people who he's agreed to sell the club to, but doesn't know he will be able to sell the club to because that comes down to Premier League decision over whether the um, the takeover should be approved or not. More, I'm sure, and hopefully on this particular story when we return later this week with your next Transfer Window podcast. Before we go, we're going to have a Heroes and Villains round and I'm going to leave it to Duncan to give us his hero of the last few days in football. I think, uh, I think this one's it's quite a fun one to do or, in that we're giving the Hero Award to one of our regular contributors, um, Liam Rossignor, um, who wrote uh, a quite brilliant letter, open letter to Donald Trump um, for The Guardian last week um, and if any of our listeners haven't had a chance to read it yet I would uh, I would urge them to go out and read that and also um, the you know, very carefully phrased and uh, economical words that uh, Liam has put out on Twitter um, in response to events following that the the hauling down of um, slave trader statue in his hometown of Bristol and um, some of the comments that were made to him after he he uh, wrote about that on Twitter. But um, well-deserved hero of the week for the transfer window for Liam, and we hope we can get him back on the podcast before too long. I'm sure he will be delighted to join us. Um, and likewise, my villain uh, of these last few days, I'm going to compliment what Duncan said regarding Liam and say that everyone in football who has yet to condemn the unlawful killing of George Floyd and or give their support for the Black Lives Matter campaign. Be ashamed of yourselves. This is much more important than perhaps you actually think it is. And it's time for people to stand up and say something meaningful, not just uh, lip service and the kind of stuff that we're used to when it comes to racism in society. If you want to continue the debate with us, then please do on our social media channels, which are at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can contact Duncan directly on at Duncan Castles and myself on at Garbo SJ. We value absolutely your opinions. We value the debate and we would like you to get involved as ever. We will be back later this week with more transfer window news and analysis for you. Until then, uh, we say be safe, stay well, and thanks for listening. Thanks.